Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza and in this episode of the podcast, we're trying to introduce you to just a different type of investing strategy around real estate. We ran into these guys, this is Greybook Realty Partners. I don't know, I feel like six, seven years ago, I could be off five, six, seven years ago, something like that. And they presented a, a way to invest side by side with developers as they'll explain on the podcast. So this isn't some big pitch for Greybook by any means. The intent of this is just to share what other people in Toronto are doing and how they're lining themselves up with developers and investing in development project this way and how you can participate in these things if you so choose. There's different qualification criteria in Ontario and they can explain all that stuff if you ever reach out to them. So really the intent, I just want to be super clear, is just to share a different investing strategy that you may or may not have heard of. Some people ask us if there's ways to invest into real estate using your RRSP and there are, these are one of the ways. So hopefully you take a bunch of good information away from this. Dylan and Darcy are good guys. Um, we chatted about all different things. Uh, Toronto real estate investing in general, actually all over the golden horseshoe. So hopefully you enjoy that. And listen, if you are listening to this and you want some specific strategies, you can get free copies of our books. We sell these books on Amazon, but there's no need to pay for them. You can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. And you could download free copies of our books. We have our, the one that's been downloaded the most has been Income for Life for Canadians. That basically started the whole business, which outlines some different investment strategies. We still get that one downloaded a ton all the time. So that'd be the place to start. But there's actually four books total now, not three. Um, the Real Estate Investing Blueprint is our latest one, which we put a lot of uh, work into, a lot of good information into that book with actual examples of different things that we've been doing over the years. So you can get a free copy of that book there as well. So you can get copies of all four of the different books that we have available now for free at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Nick, can you hear me? Nope. All right, we're perfect then. So Dylan <laughs> and Darcy are here from Greybook Realty Partners. Am I saying it right? That's it. Greybook Realty, Realty Partners. That's the one. Okay, so Dylan, we're going to This is start. very corporate. Usually it's like entrepreneurs. I know, I know. It's Greybook Realty Partners. Now, so it yeah. does feel... Why? Because I'm wearing a dress shirt? Are you good? Yeah, yeah, that too. That's, yeah. that's definitely... Are you, can yeah. we hit you guys up for sponsorship of this episode? We should try to do something like that. Yeah. Why did you guys look at each other there? You should yeah. be looking at us what, when what you should we say? that question. We would like millions of dollars in sponsorship at the beginning of this podcast. Anyway, listen, we have a question for you, Dylan, first, and then uh, Darcy, we'll get to you. Uh, sure. You raced, because Darcy told me this about you, Dylan, that you raced Michael Phelps in some, because you're a swimmer. Yeah, so I was a... Don't uh, hesitate. You're like hesitating <laughs> and like mildly embarrassed. Uh, I think if if people were to witness the race, it uh, racing might be putting it uh, positively for me. But uh, yeah, technically, See, I don't we're buy <laughs> that. I feel like you're humble because you're six foot four. I feel like those arms can propel you through water. Yeah, yeah. so I swam. Yeah, university and in Canada, obviously as well. And uh, yeah, did uh, did race against Michael Phelps a couple times at a meet in uh, in uh, Quebec few years ago but um he's yeah. not as good as all those gold medals make him seem right no he's uh <laughs> he, he, somehow like i think we're the same height i think he's six foot four and i'm six foot four but he seems like he's like double the size of you in person 
Really? I don't know how that works. Did works, you just chirp uh, him when he walked by? Like, dude, I'm going to eat your lunch right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, no. <laughs> yeah, he must have just dominated the pool. Oh, yeah. Day. Like, everyone's looking at Phelps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's an A-type personality. The king of the jungle walking oh, yeah. in there. This is my territory. He's got the old Tiger Woods effect. Well, I guess it's the Michael Phelps effect where people are just like, uh-oh, Phelps is in the race. This is yeah. trouble. Yeah, it probably like doubled the attendance of that meet that year. Like, people just wanted to go and Got it. race against them. So do you remember what place you came in? We don't have to talk about the place. Oh, I don't know. Probably, yeah, way back. I, if it wasn't televised, but I like to describe it that if it was, I would have been one of the people that faded off screen. So, <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy on the far left of the screen? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, so um, I guess... And at Greybrook, what's your uh, what's your t- do you guys have titles at Greybrook? What's your role there? We do. So uh, yeah, Darcy and I are both on the uh, private capital markets team. Um, so really, our day to day is uh, is dealing with clients, um, helping on the the raising of capital side for our different projects, and really yeah, just educating and talking to people about the various developments and, and projects that we have on the go. Okay. And uh, that does sound very corporate dealing your way, but that's good. <laughs> yeah, and I'm then sure. Darcy, you played uh, hockey. And I remember, cause and, and the reason I, I like bringing this up is we were just making fun of Babcock and his decision-making in the playoffs. It's still yeah. not out of my system, even though it's so long ago. So, um, but uh, do, does is everyone at Greybrook, you have to be some ex at like, is it like mandatory that you're like some ex athlete of some sort? Yeah, it's is it's that part like of our HR crack? policy. Yeah, you gotta, on your resume, it's got to be we got to see what level sport you played. And yeah, what got sport it. You played. Got it. Day one training camp. Yeah. Yeah, is that, got, a, is that an it. HR violation? That's a total in Canada. That's massively some for sure. I don't know what the rules are, but I don't just worry. Our, our, our HR department's fine. <laughs> it's, a tra- it's a tray in my office with a bottle of vodka and tequila on it. That's <laughs> yeah, what we call yeah. the HR department. You know what? Uh, don't worry, guys. We're not that corporate. You don't have to forget. Um, it's funny because our Christmas party, there's an athletic component. Like we have these big sort of day long things where it's like breakfast, athletic component or like escape athletic room. Athletic component. <laughs> I feel like there's a so, little. So a couple of years we did uh, trampoline dodgeball. And then and then another year we did. Uh, Pre-alcohol or we post-alcohol? Pre. Oh, okay. But because there is a few former athletes it can be competitive right but then there's a big blend like we have 60 plus people at the at, at Greybrook so obviously you know as as much as we like to say everyone's athlete definitely there's a blend right people know I see because Dylan's always very humble intense. and nice I feel it like he won't smash time. anyone I feel like you're gonna just sm- jump there and smash somebody I'll only smash guys that try to smash me <laughs> you know what I mean like I'm not just gonna smash anybody but if guys want to compete hard then I'll try and you should right compete against Nick then <laughs> remember when we went yeah. so we went I, I, the workout I was surprised at what kind of workout it was we were all like just covered in sweat by the end of it because we were like and, eight games in or yeah, whatever. and there was two le- two people left me on one side and our property manager on the other side this uh, girl that was what five six young she was we were i was younger at the time too so she was kind of young and i just i jumped and kind of faked her she's and also I just felt like a foot shorter than yeah you. and i just jumped i faked her and i just drilled her i'm like i don't care as i want to win yelled, though, as you <laughs> yelled you just drilled look her. Yeah. we either win or you lose okay yeah. there's nothing in between <laughs> i feel won. like she was like pregnant or something too. tom's still upset because he was on the losing team so that's why no, no, i don't think i way. can play i tore my achilles i don't think i even played i was just like uh, the sideline as with crutches yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's certain guys that are competitive, like very competitive, but not most of the former athletes have kind of toned it down a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, okay, so let's uh, to circle it back to Greybrook. I guess the reason that you we cross paths with you guys is Nick and I stumbled into Greybrook 
um, I forget actually who Nick who made the introduction. It was uh, Rav. Oh, that's right. And uh, we we went to go check him out, and we asked you guys a whole bunch of questions, and Peter and Sasha as well. Mm-hmm. And um, can I can you guys just describe? I mean, you know, either one of you describe like what does Graybrook do? Like, what is your business sure. model from the investor perspective? So, someone like myself, sure. what do you guys offer? Sure. So, you know. As we define ourselves, we're a private equity group um, or an asset manager, real estate asset manager. So, so to sort of describe it in simple form is we're joint venture partners, not not dissimilar to, you know, an investor being a joint venture partner with a you know single person on a detached home. We're um, we're sort of joint venture partners with very large scale builder developers. So, you know, the biggest, best in class sort of uh, home builders or high rise builders in Greater Toronto Area, Greater Golden Horseshoe. We joint venture with them on a project by project basis. So whether we're building 70 townhouses, 200, you know, detached homes, a thousand home community or single or multi-phase high rise on a project by project basis, that joint venture, we then go out to our investor base um, and re-raise our portion of the required equity. Um, so equity effective is, is cash to joint um, acquire the land alongside the developer partner and then complete that given development through to completion. Um, so through sales, marketing, um, construction into completion, and then we split profits with our developer partner on the, uh, once the project is completed. So basically we're joint venture partners of very large scale. And, and I think one of the very unique things about, about what we do is, you know, typically you can only access real estate investing, investing you know, really one of three ways, your principal residence, or you have a rental property or condo or house, or you could buy a public or private REIT, right? A real estate investment trust. It's very difficult to access the asset class of development um, with a relatively small investment size, right? So development has really been controlled by, you know, a select few, call it 20, 25 families in Ontario, um, because it's very capital intensive, it takes a lot of money to get into the development game. Um, and, and it's a hard thing to do. So I think, you know, one of the unique things that we're probably most proud of is the fact that we've sort of opened up the opportunity to people invest in the asset class being development with a relatively small check size for, and, and almost anybody can access it in the way we do it. Yeah. And that's kind of what surprised us by learning about you guys. Cause we had heard the, of people kind of sort of believing they were investing in development projects by doing like some syndicated mortgage type investments. Sure. And I'd never heard of your model, which is completely different mm-hmm. um, where it, fe- and, and correct me if I'm summarizing this incorrectly, but I, I, it feels like to me that when I invest with Graybrook, what I'm doing is I'm investing with the developer. So a corporation is maybe I'm summer. Maybe I'm going to summarize it to, um, maybe make this too simple, mm-hmm. so just correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm buying a share in the corporation that is going to purchase this land and develop the land. So I'm actually part owner of who's owning this development project. Is that yeah. is that yeah. too simple? Yeah, effectively that like that's it. So each project is called a limited partnership, right? So a limited partnership is just a legal entity. And our investors would ultimately be unit holders in that limited partnership. Um, and so that limited partnership then joint ventures with the developer and then we joint own that land. So in theory, yes, you're sort of an indirect beneficial owner of the land um, and then the profits that are ultimately generated from that development. Got it. Yes. So it's almost, almost like a, a, 
a shareholder in a in yeah a, in okay a way, and right? so the the benefits of that is that i'm going to i have a question about the developer in a second but the benefits of that is then i get to access the profits directly just as the developer is going to access the profits at the end of this thing like whatever my share of that is sure. however it's cut up uh, the negative is there's no ca this isn't like a cash flow type investment. It's not like I'm getting returns on an annual basis. If you mentioned like building 300 homes or something like that, yeah. if it's a subdivision or a condo, it might take three, four or five years to develop. I get nothing for three or five years. Once the profit is d uh, kicked out at the end of this whole thing, I get whatever share of that belongs to me based on the amount of money I've invested into this thing. Yeah, it'd be a lump sum on the uh, at the end on completion. You got yeah. it. And yeah. so... That is true. Like, I, you know, sometimes, you know, we were just talking about listening to podcasts earlier and, you know, there's a lot of research and, and a lot of guys are starting to talk more about, you know, people talk about liquidity, right? The ab ability to sell a stock at any point in time, press a button and sell it and saying liquidity, like liquidity trades at a premium. It's a valuable thing. But, it, you know, sometimes behavior gets in the way. Totally. Bad decisions, <laughs> right? So actually... Even though you can't just sell out and there's not cash flow intermittently in, in our development stuff, you know, oftentimes the fact that you, it is illiquid and tied up for a period of time, that time is really what's creating the value in an investment. And so as much as it's painful for people to not be able to access their funds at times for two, three, four, five, seven years, it's really that duration that is creating the value and ultimately generating the return. So in a way, it's almost like a blessing in disguise for people Although sometimes it's a counterintuitive thing and some, you know, uncomfortable for people. It really is a blessing in disguise because there's no way to develop, you know, to generate substantial returns in a development in a short period of time. It's a very difficult thing to do. It takes time, right? So illiquidity is actually your ally in, in, in many cases in what we do. Yeah, and I think everyone knows. I mean, getting into that type of investment, most people are, they're aware of that. You know what I mean? They're not thinking that, they can get their money back at any time and they're not using, or at least I would hope, well, I guess, no, there's things in place. So they're not using the only 5,000 or whatever, $20,000 of savings that they have. No, so they can't get in, you know, you know, so, but, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with that completely. I, and I think, like you said, it prevents, it can prevent from, especially from some people, they might be their own worst enemy by making just emotional decisions every sure. time they read a headline or something changes in the economy or whatever, they go into panic mode and make changes either positive or negative because yeah. they hear something, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you guys would know better than anyone. Like the headline risk in real estate is like nothing else, right? Like it's just one day it's incredible. The next day the sky is falling. Oh, yeah. And because and everyone... Because yeah, the, the headlines sell, because the real estate headlines are sexy. I think they sell papers and for get sure. clicks oh, fill, right? Well, because half of everyone listening I don't, I don't wants the real estate market to collapse so they can tell their neighbors, I told you so. Yeah, and yeah. the other half wants it to go up so they can tell the same, the, the neighbor on the other side, I told you I was right, right? So it's just the, it's yeah. the ultimate battle. Yeah. Except I said sell papers and I don't think anyone's selling papers anymore. Yeah, right. fair. Get clicks. <laughs> but the, the, yeah. Thing, the thing too, I think is everyone to some extent is invested in real estate, right? So whether yeah. you're, you have a, a home That's or, true. or, so we can all or argue a secondary about property or you're in development, like to most people, it's all the sort of same when it's all very, very different, but everyone's invested to an extent. So everyone's got an opinion and, and the headlines do affect everybody. Do you, mm -hmm. When you go, I'm curious, cause I, I know how I, I am. And do, when you guys are at like a party with friends or just like a backyard barbecue with friends that know what you do, cause you're in, you know, in this kind of world, this real estate space, yeah. do you guys get asked just unlimited amount of questions about different developments and what the real estate market is, what do you think it's going to do and all this type of stuff. Do you have those conversations regularly or do you kind of shy away from them? Um, 
I think it's a, it's it's based on the people you're around, right? Like uh, my family, not so much. Some people, definitely a lot more so. Like people that are in the industry and friends. Um, and yeah, it can be anything, right? How's the market? What do you think of the yeah. market? Some of yeah. your friends are just waiting for you it's guys easy, to lose uh, everything. Oh with them yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's an easy small talk conversation, yeah, 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 I think, yeah. for, for some. Okay, people. I was. Uh, I, I want to go back just to the project itself for a second. Yeah. A lot of times, I'm asked when I try to explain what Greybrook does mm-hmm. is. Uh, Who's the comp? Like, I, no one's ever really heard of this type of model before. Um, do you guys have? Do you? A lot of people do this kind of stuff. I, I haven't seen it a lot. Are yeah. there competitors? Well, I, I do think. First of all, it's a ridiculous thing to say if you say there's no competitors because obviously there's sure. competitors. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's thought of every yeah. idea. Yeah, Tom. But, but, yeah. but yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm not saying Tom said something ridiculous. <laughs> but anyways, you get the point. No, that would be but, valid. It's yeah, good. yeah. No, is. Uh, like I think that we have created something quite unique, like we talked about earlier, and in, in, you know, affording people the ability to access on a project by project basis development with top tier developers, because otherwise it's really privately controlled. Like I think the question, you know, is is probably best asked, like what, what you know, where do developers otherwise get their capital if it's not through grade? Okay, grade, and that's right? what I was leading to. Like, yeah. why are developers doing? Like, why would a developer do this? Like, why yeah. wouldn't the developer just say, hey, I'm going to make a killing on this condo project in downtown Toronto? Yeah. I'll just do it myself. So there's a couple of reasons and, and, and there is competition, but I don't think it's in direct form necessarily. Like there's smaller players and then there's institutions and you know, like there's there's competition for what's going to developers. Um, So no question. And then there's also funds, which we're not. So, so there's that Uh, in terms of why developers don't do themselves. Like I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, we were talking earlier before we got online is uh, just that land generally has become more expensive, right? Across really the GTA, greater golden horseshoe. And so, you know, the, the partners that we work with, most of them are, are what's called vertically integrated. So, you know, they employ the trades themselves and they also have land holdings to develop today, tomorrow, five years, 10, 20 years out from now. Right. So if land's getting more expensive, you know, even if you had a billion in equity, right, which most people wouldn't have a billion dollars kicking around. And if you're and if you and if land is costing, you know, a million to two million an acre, depending on where you are, even five hundred thousand and you're buying hundreds of acres like you're going to chew through that pretty quickly. So a lot of a lot of these builder developers, one, we give them a higher return on their equity, right? So so that's an important one. Because which, they're putting less down on the project, correct? So they can leverage themselves across multiple projects, correct? Right? Okay. And and which gives them the ability to then buy land out into the future, ten years out, which is not land that we're going to be joint venturing with them on, right? That's land that they're going to hold, develop, and get closer to build ready, and so. It gives them that ability to keep the, you know, to scale ultimately. So higher return on their equity, the ability to scale. And then, you know, outside of the financial commitment, and one of the things that I think is often sort of not well-defined in maybe our marketing material or, you know, love our marketing team, they're great. So not, that was a bad thing to say, but maybe people don't pick up when they look at our website is we're not just a financial partner. So yeah, we do provide, you know, equity financing to a lot of these guys. But we also are a genuine developer partner, right? Like we bring a lot to the table from a development perspective. We have a full asset management team in-house at Greybrook, which are all former developers themselves. So a third of our team are guys in models, working with banks, lenders, sales, consultants, architects, planners, really to drive success of all these projects. But we actually bring a lot of skill and a lot of expertise to our partners, which they appreciate. And I think is what really allows the model that we've developed to be sustainable because it's not just capital 
it's expertise in addition to capital. I'm shocked that you think a developer listens to your opinion on stuff. I'm like, no, uh, that's it's amazing. A while. That's it's amazing a while if they do. I just, from our experience with our father's construction business on a much lower, smaller scale, yeah. being one of the subcontractors in under the general contractor on a condominium development, I found that no one, developers were the king of the kings of the world and they would just not listen to anyone because they had all the right answers. So uh, I that, think it takes time. So yeah. Yeah, but you still probably a, yeah, yeah, got it. It's you a big it. ego business, yeah, that's yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, totally. But you said something interesting that I never considered. I always thought the attractiveness of what Graybrook does and what the, you guys do is that if I, the developer, put up 20% now mm. and that Graybrook will raise the funds to fill the other 80% necessary to do a, a new project, mm -hmm. I thought the developer could then... Me, the developer, I like that because I could take the rest of my money and do four other projects. So instead of doing one project, I'm doing five, 20% down on each project. Sure. But you mm -hmm. said something interesting that it it's allowing them to keep the the machine working because mm -hmm. they can take some other money and acquire land that they're going to develop in their future in the future. So kind of they're using it almost to build the pipeline and to keep everything flowing. Absolutely. Not to do multiple projects at the same time. It's more just a allocation of their capital, what they're doing with it. They don't have to tie it all up into one project absolutely yeah. and they have a very unique timeline too right where they're you know most people's timeline is today six months from now five years from now they're they're buying you know and often cases intergenerationally where they're buying five years down the road 10 years down the road sometimes 15 20 years down the road so to tie up capital for that long oh, the, shit. so as you get to know these guys do you see where they're buying for 15 20 years down the road Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's I think it's I feel pretty, like yeah. you guys are staring at each other again like <laughs> insider I don't know what we, I don't know what we could say and what we can't say. Well, that's one of the things that we actually say <laughs> you talk about insider trading is is like because it's private business, you know, it's a difficult thing to navigate approvals, planning is relationships sure. oh, and these gosh, guys are yeah. very good at what they do, right? But is that there is a component of like legal insider information almost in development because certain relationships are stronger than others. You know, certain certain maybe counselors guys have different edges with, right? Yeah. So there is, there is a component of knowing information. That yeah, other people and just don't a developer and, and doesn't bigger, want the other developer to know. So one developer, yeah. I, they don't want to know I'm building something out in the Niagara region so or the gonna, land that you you're acquiring. So because maybe they're after looking at the same piece of land and you're trying to figure out a way that you can get your hands on it before they do. I, you, you know, a bunch of stuff like for sure that you know, just negotiating a piece of land that you want they don't, but. You know, oftentimes it's actually to their benefit to be in landowner groups. So if there's a group of land or a big block of land that's going through approvals more in the secondary plan, more clout, they want to be together mm. because they all want the same outcome. Right. So it's competitive, but it's also clubby. Yeah, that way, makes right? sense. Mm -hmm. That, I, that makes perfect sense. And it's why you see so many of them when they're lately even put their sales centers together, they're going for approval. So they're just like you're saying, just to kind of get, you know, they, they plan it together because they can usually try, I'd imagine, try to push through more things. That's right. If there's, there's just power in numbers when they own a bit, bigger piece of, uh, of land in whatever municipality, right? Exactly. Like think about it. If there's resistance in a landowner's group, it's not going to be from a developer that wants to develop. It's mm -hmm. going to be from a, you know, a farmer. And like, it's not, it's not all right at all costs what they do. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, the resistance is going to come from someone that's lived for, for 30 years and has no intention of selling their farm. Mm -hmm. The resistance is not going to come from the other developer that wants to build the land, right? So so they're better off being together um, in most cases. 
yeah. then just back to the so back to the risk to me, the investor, for a second. The risk to me, because everything I've seen come from you guys so far has been really top quality stuff. It's been like condos right in the downtown core or New Yorkville or subdivision Kleinberg or Cambridge, like really kind of good location type stuff. Sure. So I guess the risk to me is that I say, okay, guys, I'm going to put some money with you, with with this type of investment. The risk is that development does not proceed. To me, that's the way I'm thinking about it. I'm asking you to correct me if I'm wrong. The risk is the development's like, oh shit, things didn't go according to plan. We're not gonna develop this. Then what? I'm left stuck owning this uh, piece of land or this development site? Sure. Is, is, that, is that what I'm left with? Yeah, like, it, so we're, we're regulated, right? So we disclose all the risks from, you know, I get it. I'm just trying to cut through all that. Yeah. Shit. So I think, I think, I think at the end of the day, you're, you're, you know, we like to call ourselves sunset buyers and yeah, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds great. You know, in theory, the day the sun sets on the day we buy the land is worth, you know, we feel like we could sell it for more than we bought it for. Right. So at the end of the day, if you're using responsible leverage or no leverage at all, acquiring a site, um, and you feel like you can sell it tomorrow for at least what you bought it for, then as long as, you know, you don't have crazy financing costs, um, yeah, got it. Because there's no leverage component. You're raising the money, and then that's bought cash yeah, with the money. So, in most cases, not in every case. Okay. So, you know, we just assume that could you sell the land for tomorrow for what we bought it for today? If the answer is yes, then I think you're in a pretty good spot, right? Overall, um, and and at, you know, at the end of the day, like we feel like the biggest risk that investors should be aware of is, and as we've seen through 17 and 18. Like markets can be volatile, right? So there's going to be ups and downs. And as long as you're in markets where over the medium to long term, you feel like there's an upward trend, then if you have the ability to wait through that upward trend for when a down market comes back up, then you're in a pretty good spot. And so that just dovetails into sometimes the projects can take longer than we anticipate. Obviously, we want to project timelines on time or sooner and on budget or better, right? But you know, one of the biggest risks in development unequivocally is is just that timelines extend, right? And so investors need to be comfortable with that. Yeah, got it. And then I, I guess, could there ever be a situation where, I guess you guys haven't been, there's been no delays in projects, it seems like since 2007 or 2008. I guess there have been some yeah, different has. one-off projects, but not across the board. But I guess, I'm just thinking of the worst case. You again. mean when you say delay, there's been delays in almost everything. You mean closing? You I, mean sorry. you mean things where they really like pull back on sales, shut down yeah, sales. Like, yeah, I mean yeah, there's yeah. like a deep recession, yeah, and we're like, yeah, yeah. damn, the sales office closed the freaking doors. Yeah, we're no, I'm just thinking for anyone listening, they're gonna be like, what are you yeah, talking about? No, I bought no. pre-construction is always delayed. There's nothing on time. You're right, bad language. Thank you. Uh, I just mean a serious. It's one of younger brother. That's what I'm here for. My younger brother does it all the time. I'm thinking bigger picture. That's why my language. That's why I'm. But so when the recession hits, I guess there could be a cash call because on that project not to lose it there's gonna be property ta there's some cost just to carry this thing even yeah. if the development so you guys might ring up investors at some point saying hey to not lose this site we're gonna need to put x number of dollars just for like sure. property taxes or something correct so, but that to me the investor is not a bad thing because if i'm sold on the site i'm like yeah no problem i'll i'll do that yeah, so there's a there's a couple things in. I'm in only the, focusing on this Darcy deal, just so you guys know, because this is how our, my, Nick and our brains we just automatically always go to worst case situation. For sure. Yeah. No, it's good. Like, at the end of the day, your investor are great. My upside's awesome. That, yeah, that's yeah. I'm great. just always thinking, what's the worst? What's, what's the my worst? downside? Yeah, yeah. Right? Like the classic Warren Buffett: don't preserve your capital. Right? Don't lose money. That's that's investment sort of advice. Yeah. Is that what one. he says? I didn't even know. Okay. I think he's I'm done learning. a pretty good job. Yeah, of yeah. He's done good. Um, no, no. I, so in our 
agreements, you actually, we can't call on our investors for additional capital. Um, but if there was, that's per the agreement. So there's no capital calls as, you know, it, it, through in any of our developments. However, if the development is in need of additional funds, then, then it's our, our developer partner's obligation to put up those funds but they will have to be paid back in some way, right? So if timelines do extend. Yeah, got it. So it might eat into the profits at the end or something. Yeah. But okay, so there's some contingency for that to be met. But you know you know what? Like one of the things that I think is a very interesting point, and as you're in development for a little bit longer, most people want to be, you know, to our point earlier, in short-term projects, right? So they want to be in a three-year project where you're buying the land that's ready to be built. So shovels in the ground the next day, effectively. You're selling homes building them and you're getting a profit and to call it two or three years. The reality is those feel like the safest projects, right? Because it's short term and it's relatively predictable. But if 2017 happens and the market goes from a hundred to 80%, right? And you're in a short term project, you're actually more vulnerable in a shorter term project in most cases than in a longer term project because of this volatility where in a short term project, what you're doing is you're sharing in the cost to build and the and the and what you sell it for right so now if you sell it for less your margin is compressed okay but in the longer one you're in the longer one usually your land cost is a smaller percentage of your overall revenue you also have a longer timeline so as you extrapolate over a longer timeline you have a much higher ability to outperform and and you're much less vulnerable to short term fluctuations. Makes sense. Oh, it's like so. if you're if you bought a property down the street to flip, <laughs> if you you know if you if you do the renovations in four months and then at that time the market slowed for whatever government comes out with some more regulations, all of a sudden you're you're in trouble because that your your timeline was just right then to sell. You have no there's no you just have more wiggle room. You have yeah, more time to kind of to adjust and make to, different to plans. Make plans. Because yeah, even yeah. if even if That's things right. change, you can even change uh, you can change but the inventory what, stock too. You don't have to put detach, right? But, but but let's say I did go into a three-year project and and some stuff does happen like 2017 where the real kind of the top of some of the higher price projects, you know, yeah. comes down a little bit, but then can't the project just be extended a year? Yeah, sure it can. It can. Okay. But if okay. It, you're just go, going it, in thinking I'm going to be in and out. This is going to be quick, easy money. Yeah. It's maybe well, not what the people best are looking for. No, Everyone know, wants easy money. I, right? but, I'm but always think, not. I'm think always about thinking yeah. long term and preservation of capital. Yeah. But, but think, think about a one year time extension on a three year project. You've extended it yeah. by 33 okay, percent yep. over a one year time extension or even a year and a half over on six year project. That's fair. Yeah. It's yeah. a diff It's a different. The quantum uh, like the impact is a bit different. So look, short term projects are great as our long-term projects. But this is why I think just like anything in life, you know, taking a bit of a portfolio approach makes sense because that way you're not vulnerable. You know, it's not an all or yeah, nothing yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Something I'm um, interested in with what you guys see, do you guys get any, any insight into how uh, investors or people outside of Canada view Toronto? Like how, because oh. I think sometimes when you're, I'm born here. Are you guys born in Toronto? Yeah, I am. Yeah, there's Oakville, no actually. Oh my Rich, God. Rich there's Rinella. no Habs fans in the room. Finally, every podcast I've done for the last two months, there's like a Habs fan. Yeah, but he's a room. Wings fan. So yeah. you, you, did, you were born. You could, no, wait a second. You did that swim race in Quebec. Were you there to watch a Habs game? I wasn't. No. Oh, okay. No. Never right. seen we're a Habs okay. game. So we're so you grew oh, up. Yeah. How'd you, Dylan? Extra points. And how'd cookies. you end up a Red Wings fan if you grew up in Oakville? I was a big. Uh, like grew up kind of in the dynasty era of Detroit, like Stevie Y. Oh, so you were a band, band, bandwagon man. jumper. It's hard not to like yeah. Iserman. Yeah. Met Gordy Howe when I was a little kid. It's like how I started liking the 49ers because they were winning Super Joe Montana years when I was a kid and they were winning Super Bowls. I'm like, oh, I like San Francisco because they're the champions and that's the team I've decided mm -hmm. to like. Somehow but I still that, like them and they suck. That also, 
is a very Convenient. real indicator of his age, right? Because if he was any older, <laughs> if he was any older, he would have been a Leafs fan because Gilmore and the boys played on Leafs Gilmore, early 90s. Yeah. This means yeah. that he was watching the late 90s when the yeah. Red Wings just dominated. Yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, yeah, I'm older yeah, than everybody Gilmore. here then because I'm, I'm like we bring Rick Gilmore? Vive. I'm like Rick Vive down the wing. Can we bring shot. Gilmore back? I want to see him do his little spinorama behind the net again because yeah, we need we that. Need to, we, we, we need we the spinorama. I didn't even get me depressed. <laughs> um, so uh, you're okay. Detroit fans are okay. Habs fans, we got to talk. But uh, wait, where are we? <laughs> the developer of the project. The international buyers. Yeah, the international buyers. Yeah, what do people, how do people see things if you're not from Toronto? Because I feel like so many investors we deal with can't see the forest for the trees yeah. we, we will scream from the rooftop here the population growth is insane mm-hmm. you know you don't understand the long-term yeah. trends here and no one seems to get it do you what what do you guys see yeah we see a lot uh, globally we have investors from probably 30 plus countries at this point and uh, so we have pretty good insight to kind of what uh, what other people are seeing and I think when you look at the global picture not that Toronto hasn't gotten more expensive certainly it has but Globally, when people look at it as, you know, where do you want to live and kind of all the quality of life factors that go in, you know, where am I going to send my kids to school? Where is, you know, there's so much uncertainty in a lot of countries these days, like whether it's political or, you know, economic concerns or what have you. You look at Toronto and it's personal safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a safe city. It's a great city to grow up in. It's, you know, education's great. There's the banks are very stable. And it appeals to a lot of people. And then when you factor in that, you know, it's not as expensive as London or New York or places like that, it's it's got a lot of appeal. And I, th- I think, yeah, in the last, I don't know, call it 10 years or so, you see, you've seen Toronto really, I mean, it's something that Toronto's said probably for 30 years, but really in the last 10 years, it's been true that Toronto has really emerged as a, as a global city that people, people want to live in, want to be a part of. So it's not... You see a lot of stuff in the headlines about, you know, foreign buyers and stuff like that. But really, a lot of people that are buying or interested in buying from that are originally from overseas are have some sort of connection to Toronto, whether it's to come for school or to move. Um, you know, they're invested in living and being a part of of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and I, on that point, like. Uh you know, you hear some you, you hear some chatter around the intergenerational wealth transfer from sort of the baby boomers to the next generation, and that's how some of these people are affording their homes in the GTA. Um, and the same thing is happening from a foreign buyer perspective, right? So call it foreign buyer or, or foreigner perspective, I should say, where people from all these countries, you know, China, Russia, like India, you name it, right? Um, European countries, South American, South countries. American too. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. They, they, for all the reasons that Dylan just stated, think that Toronto's in Canada, Canada, and then Toronto is a very attractive place, and they so oftentimes they enroll their kids at school with the whole the whole idea is not necessarily to come back to the countries that they left, but to now bring up the next generation in Canada, right? And so this is a real thing that we see, like. A lot of our investors' families are doing this, so it's go to Waterloo, Toronto, wherever they're going, McGill, and then buy a house, buy a property, yeah, and and then stay and work here, right? And so, you know, obviously they're getting the same jobs we are, like accountants or whatever it is, so they can't afford two million dollar houses. But there's this intergenerational wealth transfer that's happening in Toronto, but it's also happening from these foreign countries where the money's flowing in Mm -hmm. here because they then have status in here. And I don't know if you guys know, I'm just pulling up this number for something we're putting together uh, on Saturday, and uh, 
the immigration target for 2018 was 310,000 immigrants into this country. That was the declared Stats Canada yeah. federal government plan. Yeah. The final 2018 population growth numbers for Canada came out. And uh, Canada grew in population over 500,000 people, which already is a big number for this country. 500,000 people. Of that, 80.5% approximately, I should pull up the exact number, um, is immigration. And if you do the math, it's 400,000 plus mm-hmm. immigrants came in. The target was 310. Yeah, we mm-hmm. overshot the target by over a hundred thousand people. I don't know who in the government isn't that good at math, but when you have a target of three ten and you overshoot it by that much, yeah, and then forty three, somewhere between forty and forty five percent come to Ontario, right? So yeah. 40, 45 percent of that come to Ontario, and then a huge mu- a percentage of that comes to the Golden Horseshoe. Mm-hmm. We are just getting literally hundreds of thousands of people. For Oakville sure. as a Oakville as a town that we're sitting in here right now is 187,000 people. Yeah. That means this year we probably got another Oakville kind yeah. of landed here. And so and then on to, to your student point, 300,000 student uh, permits were issued last year. Yeah. 300,000. Yeah, it's huge. Not right. included not included in the 500,000 number, right? I no. Think. Well, well, yeah. yeah. No, cuz immigration actually, yeah, was yeah. was so 400 in that. And 300,000. Well, if it was, that means we only let in 100,000 immigrants and yeah, 300,000 yeah, yeah, were students. Sorry. So, yeah, right. So, um, it's not. so, I mean, it's just an insane amount of population growth. It's massive. And and that, you know, a lot of our thesis is, you know, not built just around that, but in some ways sure. it is, right? Like, you've got the supply and demand side. You've got supply limited by, you know, the yeah, everyone, planning approvals, all yeah, this yeah. stuff. But if you think about the demand side, so call those numbers what they are, and, and then just distill it down and there's all sorts of you know interesting tidbits but if you just think about the number of units that our trades can deliver a year right in the greater toronto area so say there's a hundred thousand people you need to deliver about forty thousand net new units a year and those units would be their affordable housing condo rental or a detached home right because you're saying on average two and a half people per year residency or whatever it is right so to deliver 40,000 units a year, we don't even have the trades necessarily to be able to do that year over year. Never mind if population growth is 35% higher than what we expect. So call it, it becomes 150,000, 130,000. Like our trades are limited, <laughs> not to mention, you know, land supply, the right units for the right people, affordability, da, da, close da, to your job. Things, yeah. All yeah. these things, right? everything. It's, yeah. it's uh, to me, the next 10 years in Toronto is like this fascinating experience. There's one, one study that came out from Toronto said that by 2041, we're going to be short 220,000 household units. Yes. Like yes, actual, yeah. what, to it's your massive. point, 220,000. That's the same amount of um, household units in the city of Brampton. Yeah. So we're going to be short, like basically the city of Brampton and housing. Short like Brampton. If, we're, yeah, we're basically. <laughs> well, if you look 10 years ago, like, because everyone, I mean, you know, because I know when we're doing just simple rental properties, people are like, what the value of this is? What? It, you know, it's, it's, I've been waiting to buy a house because it's, it's going to come down. And this was 10 years ago, right? So it's hard looking forward sometimes. But if you look back in the last 10 years, the same thing has happened. It, like, it just, that's when it started with the immigration. We were having immigration before, but that's when it started ramping up. Right. And that's what's caused a lot of what we've seen now with flush prices and density. I mean, just drive along the highways, yeah. just driving along the QEW, either from Oak, so we're in Oakville, so either going to Toronto or going to Hamilton. It doesn't matter which way you choose. The traffic now is noticeably different well, now, than it was j- just five years now ago. Now, if I get no traffic, I feel like I won the lottery. I'm like, I, oh my God, I, I don't must even have think just it's possible it right. anymore. Yeah. 
going yeah, east to, through Mississauga. Never, there never used to be traffic going east through Mississauga. No. You know, it's Toronto. Now it's like all day, every day. Yeah, and traffic jams start in the weirdest places. I, I used to drive. I actually played back in the day. This would date me for the Oakville Blades, which is a junior hockey team. And I used to drive from Richmond Hill four times a week. And so... And that was the early days of the 407. No traffic. Zero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You might not have even but, seen but, another car. Yeah. There was no cars. stretches. There was it was nothing. just you, I'm sure. Or, or yeah. get on yeah. even any of the big highways and, a, you know, you'd be stopped, delayed for like 10 minutes. Now it's like, oh, you just God. wouldn't do that. If you no leave without Waze or Google Maps up, it's Zero. like, forget it. I'm not even getting on the road. So I don't even the know funny thing about Waze, too, is a totally sidetrack, is like, I feel like it's disrupted traffic patterns more than oh, yeah. totally yeah. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I got guys buzzing by my house yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a transport yeah. truck there's a the lot street? of people on quiet streets <laughs> yeah. now that yeah, hate yeah. Yeah. wait a second I can go down this quiet street and shave off three seconds off yeah. my trip totally doing yeah. it exactly <laughs> when it was small and there was a small number of people using it it worked yeah. but now that everyone's using it yeah. everyone's taking the same crazy routes yeah, it doesn't yeah. work the same there's way. gonna be another app like the anti-ways yeah. like here everyone on ways is going this way you go this way just stay on the highway you're good yeah Exactly. I feel like that's what always wins anyway. Just stay exactly where you are. Yeah. But I wanted to mention one po- uh, thing about the immigrants. I find yeah. that Canadians always think that, um, oh, who's coming into the country? It must be people with an education because we have a points-based system. And, you know, we do mm-hmm. have a high quality of immigrants. But Darcy, to what you were saying, and Dylan, to your point also, is that I find when I talk to people new to the country, they say what you guys are saying. They're choosing Canada because they could go to other places. Mm-hmm. Usually it's Australia, Canada, yep. Australia usually one other choice, maybe like a New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm forgetting one place. But uh, but they choose Canada because of safety. Yeah. Like they're never talking about, oh, I have a university degree and I have a bit of money and that's why I'm coming here. They're always like, hey, it's safe for my family and my kids get good education and they have a chance at getting into university. Whereas if I stayed in India yep. or China, they would have to be in school like 15 hours a day for sure. to try to get into university. Whereas here, I feel like they have a chance. Yeah. So that whole component I find is missed by most Canadians. They don't realize what an attractive place we are to people who are mobile, have a bit of money, and have some education. Yeah. And then, and then it, what it does, and don't jump in, sorry to, to jump in there, um, is it sort of makes people feel uncomfortable because now the city that we grew up in and we expected to afford a detached home close to the city or whatever it is, like is now becoming somewhat out of reach for people. And it just makes us unhappy and angry and saying there must be something wrong here. When the reality is all these things you're talking about is creating kind of, that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and as a politician, I'm like, hmm, the politicians must just actually love this because it's more tax dollars. People come in here. You know, kind of helps the economy. There's this awesome professor from uh, Berkeley. He did a study that I'm also going to reference, uh, Nick, coming up. Is, and he did this study that said if as a city grows, if one for one as a person or a family unit comes into the city and there is equal amount of housing growth, mm-hmm. all the productivity gains from that economy growing is capitalized to the individual, like the individual gains, incomes go up and that kind of stuff, right? Sure. And, the, and the individual go, grows. But if you enter a metropolitan city where housing does not keep up one for one, all the gains are capitalized in the land. Mm-hmm. Because there's not enough land, yeah. so the prices keep going up and up. So as the new workers and family units come into that city, it's driving the land up so much that it's actually the landowners mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. really are benefiting from that growing economy. If the housing, to your point, how we can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And that's always in my head. I'm like, holy crap, man. This is a very interesting study, which <laughs> means sure. to me, for me and my family, selfishly, <laughs> I should try to just get land mu- grab. Yeah. yeah, I should try to get as much land, my hands on rental properties, land developments. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know it's a selfish thought, but that's no, the but way it, I'm thinking. Just because 
Toronto, the way it's kind of structured. Well, if you look at the way Europe was built, like Europe, there's, it's so much, it's dense, not as dense as some other areas, right? But the way it was built is a lot of the land you can't build on stuff. If you look at the, 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 the winners, let's say over kind of like the last 20, 30, 50, 100 years in Europe, Mm -hmm. the landowners, if you owned land in Europe, so like, look at Italy, if you had land in Florence that you could find, you could build on back then, how well are you now versus if you don't have land? It's the same, the same things happening in different areas in North America. It's like really no different because let's be honest in Ontario, a lot less people want to move to Thunder Bay than live in Southern Ontario where it's still like, it still gets cold, but it doesn't get as cold. Yeah. Right. It's just really difficult for people to, with all the buzz and noise for people then to have a long-term view, which is what you need if you're going to be talking about like, Oh, look what happened in Florence. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. That's a, tough a good thing. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you need to think long term. That you got to look like and, and, and fifty years out. You say, "What would this look like in fifty years?" Oh, wow! If it's like that, and most people, to be fair, I feel like I'm um, you know, older, so I think this way. It's like when I was younger, it was just about, "Hey, how much money am I making for my family? I'm going to get this house. Here's my mortgage payment." You're not thinking. It's after a little while where, where you accumulate a little money, then you can start yeah. like thinking this way. Because I wasn't thinking this way for sure. And in my like twenties and early thirties, it wasn't like going it's hard, right? Yeah. It's hard to get to totally. save money to buy right oh my gosh like it's very difficult the long, it, it's hard to be long term on anything just yeah. the way we're wired you want it short term on everything i was looking up because i was taking a picture so to the land um topic even even the single family detached homes they're buying now if they are the same size as they were they're going on smaller and smaller lots so the a recent release in oakville that came by my house this flyer 36 foot lots mm-hmm. 20 2100 square foot homes whereas before yeah. a 21 20 it was like 2150 so 21 2200 square foot home would never go on a 36 no. foot lot. that was like 40 a 1700 like square foot home, yeah a 1400 and, square foot kind of place right so they're just shrinking and that's just the width i actually because it was just a the flyer they don't give you the depth of the lot yeah. the depth is smaller too because if you look at backyards now they sure. might be the size of this office a For lot sure. of them so it's smaller like some people are getting the same and the starting price of those homes 1.1 million yeah, is it's in Oak, it's in Oakville, is, not even it's not in Toronto. If it's you in drive Oakville. our father, our father, seventy nine years old, grew up in the drywall business. He drives around this new subdivisions going up all over Toronto, and he just points at all these houses, going garbage, yeah, garbage. Look at this garbage. Yeah. He's like this, like this old European guy where English is still his second language after being here for like fifty years. I feel like, and he's just insulted by these projects that are going up. You know, I could, I could you know, you, there is some. I could see that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel like we have to sell tours with our father, and you just go around with him. By the way, in who's going to meet his criteria though now? Yeah. Oh, nobody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. No, no one. You should no, hear no. The, 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 no, I just mean to get, go around, just hearing him go garbage and pointing at <laughs> yeah, these yeah. houses. Well, the t- you should hear him talk about the twenty-foot wide lots in High Park and the value yeah. of the the, the oh, homes yeah. on those. He's like, well, you just. You know, and the, the townhomes they build like on top of the street. And he's like, how can people buy, you know, just he I have doesn't a, get it. I have it. a funny story to share about our father that's, uh, he, he, him and his buddy used to hang out in High Park in Toronto and they got into a fight. They're, I guess they're both drinking. And our father, the, the story, the, 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 the guy who my dad fought is, uh, I'm still like good friends with their, his son. And we always get the story interpreted a little differently. But the story from his father is that I fought your dad. And he lost $100 in High Park because it fell out of his pocket. Or No, my, our dad says it fell out of his pocket. He says that he won the $100 because he lost the fight. But apparently this guy had a few beers and he walked home to his house, you know, along High Park. Yeah. This is, oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, to yeah. your point no, just how cheap story. the houses used yeah, to be yeah. when these guys came to Canada. The, this was like, that was like the burbs around High yeah, Park. Yeah, for right? sure. Um, they, he walked into his house. He was going up to his bedroom up the stairs and some people were in his family room and he looks over at them. He's like, what are you doing? Get out of my house, right? And he's going up to bed. 
and he didn't realize he was in the wrong house. <laughs> no, no one locked their doors back then, right? So he just walked in someone's house. Can you imagine you're in your family and you see some guy walking? <laughs> anyway, yeah. probably shouldn't be sharing these stories, but our father, but our father likes to share that part of the story that he might have lost a hundred bucks, but he's the, the the guy who went into the wrong house. Anyway, I'm way off track. What I wanted to share about uh, Ontario was that we're also seeing it, and I don't know if you guys might see less of this because the developers you you work with are just like really in the the real. Uh, prized pieces of land, mm. we're seeing spillover effects. And what I mean by that is in London, Ontario, for example, we never used to do that much in London except for student rentals by Western University. Yeah. But we're all of a sudden seeing people in St. Thomas. Do you guys know where St. Thomas yeah. is? Kind of yeah. just outside London. Um, we're seeing people buy properties in St. Thomas because London is getting too expensive because people from like Mississauga and Milton are starting to buy like properties out in London. We're seeing the same thing in St. Catharines where people from Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington are getting mm -hmm. pushed out to buy in St. Catharines. People yeah. in St. Catharines are now buying in Welland. Yeah. yeah so we're sure. seeing this weird thing that not only like our area is growing, it's pull, it's pushing people over to these spillover places that you would never imagine that you see activity in. For, for sure. For the same reason on uh, yeah. uh, on Saturday, I pulled up some numbers. I found this awesome these awesome numbers around that Toronto last year lost about thirty to thirty five thousand people to those areas in other areas of, of Ontario. However, there so but and so people don't realize it because Toronto's still getting busier and busier, and it's the it's the international immigration that's been backfilling in Toronto, but but the local migration trends have been out of Toronto into these areas. I have these all these numbers around yeah. it. Like yeah, London's taken off a ton. I go out there every once in a while. My uh, oh, so you're noticing it? Yeah, my fiance's family's from there and grew up there and the whole deal. But uh, yeah, it's it's grown a lot. You know some friends that have, have bought houses and stuff, and even just you know they bought because it was affordable a couple years ago. And even, you know, if you were to go into the market now as someone right out of university or something like that, it's it's not as affordable. Yeah. It's, uh, it's gone up quite a bit. And you know what? Like, we... we we haven't gone as far as London, um, St. Thomas, or, or sure. I think or you're, the developers cities. you're dealing with, they kind of do more right around. Yeah, they do, but a lot of them are in Niagara, like down yeah, to Niagara, KWC too, right? Kitchener, so, yeah. so we've invested yeah, yeah. pretty heavily in Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge. We're actually we have a pretty big development in Shelburne. So, okay. like these are areas that you know may not be as far west, but like Shelburne's a good poke from core Toronto, right? And it's the same thing. Spillover fact, affordability, nice town, bigger lots. Yeah. yeah. You get a you know, you get a Oh yeah, it's, it's not, not it's, it's not twenty wide. Yeah. It's not but garbage. To, to that lot, to that lot yeah, God, it's not <laughs> to that lot question, like it's such a multi dimensional thing, right? Because developers want to develop to a margin, right? So whatever that margin might be called ten percent for yeah. that type of home. And in order to do that, you know, you have to use your land appropriately, mm -hmm. right? To be able to deliver a certain size house that someone wants to buy at a price point that works for them and for the developer to make their margin, right? It's not it's not a one-sided thing. So, the, so there's that, right? So that's why these things have been compressed because it's costs have gone up. So in order to make it more affordable, you need to build less square footage and that might mean on, on less of a sure. size yeah, yeah. of land. The second thing is that you know, a lot of what's happened is been pushed down from the provincial government, right? So you've got this Ontario Places to Grow Act that has sort of redefined density targets in a lot of areas. So, you know, areas like Oakville or Richmond Hill or, you know, Markham's, which used to be what we know as suburbs and big detached home suburbs are now being forced to intensify. Mm -hmm. So what used to be, you know, 40 people per hectare is like the metric they use, is now 80 or sometimes 120. So 
they almost have to develop build what your dad thinks is junk yeah which are right on the street townhouses that are 20 foot wide because that's what the province wants right otherwise you're going to really force people to london or if you have you know there's just, no, there's just, not, there's just not enough room there's just not yeah. enough room so yeah, you have to build more density yeah i i, I forget that's, the that's, when you now, lay it out like that yeah it makes obvious sense what's happening it's just the context that i have as a that, kid growing yeah. up i see those developments i'm like what the heck is that well, but and, you're right yeah, and yeah. for affordability because that's of right. so so yes they have to yeah but also if and they keep if they keep you know if, if they start just building 60 foot lots in oakville at 3500 square foot homes how many people if, if the if the 36 square foot lot is 1.1 because of afford the cost of land and everything they just no one not as many people can buy them like yeah, it's, yeah. Just not, it's not sustainable more. right but the um i think one of the misconceptions that we were speaking about earlier is so many people they don't realize like the developers are making good money right yeah. like if you're a smart developer you're making good money like no one's crying over the developers but the margins aren't what i think a lot of people might think they are in, in you know for what the developers are making because costs like we're talking about land mm -hmm. and all the municipal costs and the government regulation and that type of stuff constructions all gone up the the margins i think the majority of margins for developers as the, even as the prices have gone up and they've raised prices i think their margins have shrunk from the numbers that we've seen at least for right? sure so that that's one of the things is that you know it's something that we're constantly wrestling with is people are like these prices are egregious but costs run in line with prices, right? And and so if you think about when you hit, you know, something like 2017, your costs are, I should say they trail pricing to an extent. And so costs are running up, prices are running up, and then prices hit sort of a point in 2017 and come back down. Well, guess what? Costs don't come back down as quick as pricing That's a good does. point, yeah, So yeah. now your margins are really, really compressed. And so to your point, margins are down and, um, and costs are up. So it's not, yes, they're doing well, back to even our earlier conversation is a lot of the value has a, a lot of the upside in, in, you know, we call development, but there's a component of land development and then construction. The margin in construction is one thing where most of the value has accrued is in the land, mm -hmm. right? So where these big developers have made most of their money, it's just the value, land value over yeah. time. Yeah. You guys know where the fastest growing place in Ontario was last year? Wait, let me guess. Actually fastest place in Canada. Sorry. I think I know. I should know uh, this. I, wait, I know. I know. I know, I know. I, I know the answer. You Is do? it Peterborough? Yeah. Oh Peterborough. yeah. Can you believe it? Peterborough. <laughs> Now it's percentage based, right? So it is small, so sure. it doesn't take as many yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, Peter, like, would you I ever know. think Peter? Maybe a, a you know, know a nine hundred five region, like closer yeah. to Toronto, but Peterborough, yeah. But yeah, number one in all of Canada, and by a chunk too. You know what's up there too? And maybe you've looked at the stats more recently. Kitchener's way up there. Yeah, yeah. one of yeah. Uh, one of the top yeah. five. I forget, but the, it's also it's like Guelph, Barrie. It's all yeah, these, it's these where, it's exactly what we're, what we're talking about. It's a yeah. point about people buying or your friends buying in London. I mean, that's kind of what's happening. We're gonna have yeah top five all in Ontario Peterborough KWC's number two Ottawa Windsor London there you go and then uh, Kingston's number just yeah. a couple of us there and I think all of those are are cities or towns that uh, you know maybe historically people have kind of thought of as for lack of a better term like B level cities oh, totally. boring yeah, yeah. <laughs> boring but uh, <laughs> but they're now they're when you look at kind of what your your options are they're you know they're cities that have good job bases we just did a, a project recently in in kitchener waterloo and you see you know they've got a huge tech hub there there's education jobs there's you know and oktoberfest and, yeah, yeah october great oktoberfest cool. um so that's key 
but uh, so from a kind of an equation in, in an average person's mind, you can still get a detached home for relatively affordable yeah. price. You can, you know, it's a diverse job base and that's why you're seeing a lot of these, these other kind of periphery markets grow quite a bit. Look, we know people in buying these rental properties, these like a duplex or triplex down in Windsor and Sarnia, these small little rental properties because the, the rents to the, the value of the properties are great from a yeah. cash flow perspective. Yeah. You know, the tenant profile is different. There's a whole different yeah, set of challenges. Yeah, the appreciation is not really there. It's different, but but yeah, there's, there's you know, it, it, it can make sense. The only thing to me that I think about with that, and it doesn't apply so much to, to some of these areas, but um, in the past, places like Windsor's and Sarnia's and those places, um, when the economy does turn, because it's inevitable, right? It can't just be this strong economy forever. There's ups and downs. Sure. Those are the places typically that often when there's manufacturing problems or things like that, if China decides to, you know, fluctuate their currency more and take more manufacturing, that's when they lose those jobs. There's like a stream of people leaving those places yeah. as yeah. opposed to like the greater Toronto, Golden, greater Toronto, Hamilton area. There's just more stuff. More, it's just more sustainable. For there's more foundation still built. Yeah, the, the foundation is being built in those areas, but it's just not as strong as if, for obvious reasons, right? Yeah, the diversify. Like you need a diverse employment base, right? If you don't have so, it, and yeah. and there's a shock to one or two industries that it, the town is relying on. It and hurts you're a more lot. susceptible. Yeah, for question. sure. Remember, yeah. Well, remember Hamilton when the steel industry got hit? Now Hamilton's diversified more quite diversified. a bit. Diversified, yeah, yeah. But when the steel industry got hit, what was that twenty years ago now or so? Like they were, it was. A, it, it took it 20 longer. Years. Yeah, it took a you're, insta- you're right. Yeah. I installed an uh, installed an Oracle database right in the middle of DeFasco's, like, I don't know, whatever. You I can't believe grounds. you went in the, into that area. I just yeah, drive by there. I'm like, what goes on like, in there? There was like this IBM server that I had to go and install Oracle databases on. And it was like some expensive server. Like, I'd never seen something so beautiful and so big in a shed that was like, you would keep some crappy lawnmower in. There was like three guys in there playing solitaire on it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Get me out of here. Like, what am I doing? I thought this was like I worked in some tech company and I was super cool. I don't I don't think I thought I was super cool. I just felt like that wasn't right what I was doing. But uh, I just want to give you a stat that uh, on Toronto, the top three cities in the U.S., New York, L.A. and Chicago, they make up 17.6 percent of the U.S. economy. So the GDP of those three cities, the top three cities, just to show you how we're concentrated differently, mm-hmm. Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver make up 35 percent of Canada's economy. Yeah. But it gets crazier. Toronto by itself is 18. 18. Yeah. It's crazy. Toronto yeah. by itself is the same percentage of this GDP that the top three cities are in the U.S. Yeah. Like our, our GDP is so concentrated right here. And I'm not even trying to say that's a good thing. I just mean we need to be aware of it. Right? Yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad. Like I think it's it's probably good if you're an investor, right? A real estate investor in a way. Uh, in, yeah, in these no, it's areas. very good if you're yeah. a real estate investor. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, like it's... That's why when we think about the Canadian real estate market, it's hard to paint a broad stroke, right? Like the media is like, well, Canada is overheated. Like that stat right there shows you that the market is separated. You know, Canada, really Toronto and Vancouver. Now Montreal is emerging. We love Montreal for sure. But like in Toronto and Vancouver are very different from each other. Like the, the headline should be about the cities and why these certain cities are up or down or why you believe that, not Canada broadly because it's, they're so different from the rest of Canada. Yeah, totally. Even beyond that, not even just Toronto, Vancouver, because just in Toronto, you have Hamilton, KWC, yeah. we have, you know, Barrie, like it's whatever, take your pick on these different areas and for different reasons, they might be stronger or weaker, but the population base here is, is so huge. What percentage is this population base of like, 
Well, Southern Golden, Ontario. Golden Horseshoe is about 9 million. We're a population base of 36. So what's that, 25% of the population? Yeah, so probably more if you can include a little, even like the further areas too, yeah. right? Might be 25 to 30% of the entire country. Countries here. And over, and over like the statistic over the next, I don't know, seven years, nine years, whatever it is, expected to add, you know, two and a half million people or two. I know the stat. It's three million people by 2041 from 2016 to 20, three million. Think about that. You 43% yeah. increase. Don't think about that. The There's GTA. no roads. Don't think, we need, no, we need flying. We need Elon Musk flying no, cars. But, no, this is a good point because if you think about that, the Toronto population is 2.7 million, I think, right now. Yeah. We're going to add another Toronto yeah. by 2041. Which, and tw- yeah, 2041 is not that far. It's not that far away. I know. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's 20 years. Right? 20 I'm, years I'm, isn't that Dylan, long. when you talk to people about Kitchener, because you mentioned that you guys had a project out in Kitchener, do you yeah. have to educate people on Kitchener, do you find? Or do people get it? They're like, oh, yeah, university jobs, manufacturing, high tech. Or I, do you find you're having to educate them? I thought going into it that we would a lot more. I think people are were a lot more in tune with, with Kitchener than uh, than. Okay. I thought personally, but um, I thought I, Toronto people, if, if some of your Toronto core clients might be like Kitchener. Well, I think a lot of people, especially people that are, you know, obviously we're in Oakville now, people that are kind of on the, the sort of West end of the GTA, like right, they, right, they right. kind of see both sides of it, right? Mm-hmm. Where they see Toronto that's really taken off, you know, real estate prices have, have gone way up. Condo market's been great. But then on the flip side of that, you know, there's, I think there's always, you know, part of you that kind of looks out East or a west and um you know sees the option of of having the detached home for the more affordable thing you you know what's out there and kitchener's Mm -hmm. always been a bit of a a tech hub it's gotten a bit more kind of diversified and and taken off a bit more recently so i think people have always paid a bit of attention to it i think it's one of the ones not so dissimilar to to montreal maybe where it's Mm -hmm. in the last little bit it's had uh it's kind of taken off and and gotten a little bit more recognition the secrets out. We've been talking about Kitchener for like over a decade now. I feel like it's finally out. If you're on the west side, you know. If you're on the east side, you might be thinking about yeah. other areas. You'd be Peterborough. Durham yeah. region. Yeah. yeah, Durham. Right. Yeah. And what, but like, if you're in Durham, the and but the 407 runs through like Brooklyn, Ontario. I think it's just north or right through yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah. Whereas people in Oakville, you talk about Brooklyn, Ontario, they're like, right. what Where the hell are you talking about? And yeah. yeah, but you talk to people in Pickering about Brooklyn, they'll be like, oh yeah, it's right there. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a little bit of that going on too, probably. The yeah. east is, I know you guys are in the west side and in you know, we try to invest in the West and the East, but the East is really interesting from a transportation oh, yeah. infrastructure pricing. It's actually down a little bit from the West. Like just, in, you know, if you try to do a relative distance and pricing and, and try and sort of make those match, the West is a little, you know, a little more expensive. And there's a lot of opportunity there. Like a lot of the big developers are in Curtis, Brooklyn. We're yeah, there heavy. Yeah, I think cool. we have like seven my, or eight projects we, there. Awesome. My theory on that was, and I, I don't know, because I never went back to actually look at the numbers. And this was before I really kind of started looking into, into real estate. But I feel like when, as Toronto started to grow, areas like Miss, areas like kind of more to the west grew first so like a suburb like mississauga was one of the biggest suburbs still is right one of the biggest suburbs and the prices there started to escalate escalate and then it went kind of around it went north and around even barry because barry was so the prices were so low that barry kind of exploded and stuff and then over time as those prices went up people just went oh they looked at durham because for so for so long oshawa was like oh you live in the schwa right and then then all of a sudden they're like well why don't look at the prices over on the east side, why are we not moving there? Yeah. Like you said, similar distance, but the prices are lower. And then over the last, what, about five, seven years, maybe five, six years, Durham's really it's got exploded. like really yeah. strong appreciation because of that. And I don't yeah. know, I never went back to look at like facts around that. That's just kind of what I feel happened. A lot of it's probably transportation related a little bit too, you know. Like that makes it, sense. Like the, 
you've got multiple north south highways now you've got 407 extended to peterborough effectively yeah the 407 was all west yeah, first and then now right. you have what is it go is it the 425 or 412 what's the highway that goes from the 407 to the 401 Down, now yeah. 418 is it the 418 i was way off okay so that's how much i know on that, you, that but that but to your point all that infrastructure is being built out now yeah absolutely and and like you know go train access is huge right for people I heard a really random thing, and this is not empirically based. So it's it's just some kook probably told it to me. We're so holding you to this. Yeah. Whatever you're about to say, this better be right. Bye, today. bye. But it, it makes sense, so I'm going to spit it. I'm going to throw it out there and say, is that almost every city in the world develops to the west before the east? Oh, really? And it's because, and a lot of the in- industry is on the east typically, it's because the wind blows to the east. No so way. Over, that's this true, is what he said to me. Amazing. And so any <laughs> any anything being that's built, that's crazy enough anything, that I might believe it. <laughs> anything being built, the nasty odors are. So no one yeah, wants to live on the east because yeah, they yeah. want want to get the odor. We're gonna have to look into this now. If that's true, that's fine. That's true. I'm going to the next city that's built. That's buying. I'm just buying land on the west side. Wait a second. All the steel factories were in Hamilton on the west side. Either that's yeah, the that, stupidest comment okay. ever made on the podcast, but no one left the most enlightening. <laughs> but no one really lived we'll west west of Hamilton, yeah, we'll right? Everyone was in between. Yeah, yeah. We'll follow part two. So, Darcy, can you come back talking about the way the wind blows again? <laughs> yeah. So, listen. Um, if any, so I, we wanted to ask you a bunch of Greybrook stuff. We kind of got there in the middle of all this other yeah, stuff. Sure. Thank you for sharing so much. Is there some like obvious stuff that we people ask you guys about Greybrook that we should be sharing, or did we get out enough that we, we did our we did what we wanted to do? We didn't have really even an agenda. I think one of the the kind of big things on on talking about all these different markets and you know what what has impacted different markets and we're in some other markets in the U.S. as well. We're in uh, South Florida, Miami, uh, Houston. Um, it really is more so than just is the market up or is the market down. Is building and developing the right product for the right market, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, people in Durham are going to have you look to Durham to live for a different reason than you look to Yorkville to live. And you, you look to the product type in Miami where, you know, you're, you've got a high millennial renter base is going to be a lot. You're going to cater to that more than an area that maybe has a lower or uh, an older demographic. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the big things I think just in general with real estate and especially now as, you know, as the GTA has grown a lot more and, has become kind of a, a much deeper market is you don't see to the point about areas like Peterborough and Oshawa and, and places like that growing so much in population. You, you really don't see as many kind of one industry towns anymore. Mm-hmm. So finding the right product to the right area is becomes a lot more important. Mm-hmm. Huh, sure. so that's where the expertise lies. Never really thought about it. I always just kind of think, ah, Peterborough, I don't know, build some houses. The one thing, well, that's <laughs> the thing. Like, you, I think I think to Dylan's point is, like, you know, delivering the right product to the right people is that there is someone that wants to live in Durham. There's someone that wants to live in Oakville. There's someone that wants to live in Yorkville. There's someone that wants to live in Toronto Waterfront. Yeah, that's someone a good lives point. in Miami, yeah, yeah. right? And it's a different person, but at the end of the day, there's a product that needs to be delivered for that person because they're going to be buying there one way or another, right? So it's about, you know, delivering the right thing to the right person. And just because you don't want to live in wherever and I don't maybe want to live in wherever doesn't mean that it's not a good investment, right? Someone does want to live there as long as we're capturing them. Um, you know, it's like we look at all of our investments like you look at your children. You treat them all equally. You love them all the same. So so that's uh, that that's kind of our approach, right? And as long as you're in good areas with good macro trends and you, and you don't over leverage and you buy well, 
and you have great partners, then then you should be okay. You have how many young young children? Two or I three? Two and two. a third on the way. How wow! So let's just extrapolate this out. Do you how really old are love they them now? all the same? No, I'm just wondering what they're going to be able <laughs> so to far. afford. <laughs> so if, far, if in day, the last yeah. twenty years houses have basically easily doubled in price, easily like yeah. well beyond doubled, we're talking way more than doubled. Holy yeah. smokes, quintupled. So, dar- how old are you? How old your oldest? Uh, turning four and turning months. four. So let's month. say he buys a property who's twenty four. Average house a million bucks, so he's gonna have to buy a house of two million dollars. Darcy, oh Darcy's gotta get busy. Darcy, you better. Well, he's shoveling every better, neighbor's driveway already. You better help the wind blow some money into your into your house. Yeah, oh, you gotta live on the east side. <laughs> I was trying not to Dylan, think about I that. I forget. Do you have children? I don't. No. You don't have children. Okay, got it. So you you're good. Your money's yours. Then yeah, you get to yes. keep it. <laughs> I was trying not to think about that, so I appreciate you bringing that. Yeah, up. yeah. Um, for contact information for you guys, do we hand out the, that Rockstar email? Do we have what's the what is the best contact information to hand out? Yeah, probably. Like I think that's you know it's, it's a great relationship that you know Greybrook and Rockstar have had over a, a long period of time. You know what you guys are doing here is awesome. So I think it makes sense to to deliver that email address, which is for sure. Yeah, to, it's uh, yeah, it's just Rockstar at Greybrook.com. And that goes to either one of you guys. Yeah, Dylan I'll be on it. Dylan. Easier to uh, easier for people to remember than giving them my uh, my, my name to spell out. So uh, yeah. yeah, rockstar at graybrook.com. Rockstar at graybrook.com. I think that's it. Nick, anything else? No, guys. That's anything? It for me. Anything else? No, appreciate you guys having us in. Yeah, and, yeah thanks uh, for having let's us. Let's definitely follow up on that asinine comment, and we'll go. From no, there. that's good. It gives yeah. us a reason to follow up. Great. <laughs> I love those types of comments. Thanks, guys. Thanks, All guys. Right, thanks. Hey everyone, it's Tom Crads again. So hopefully you enjoyed that chit chat with Dylan and Darcy from Greybrook. Good guys, as I mentioned. And uh, if you are listening to this and you want to check out some real estate investing information for yourself, you can grab free copies of our books at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. You get access to all free copies of our books. Some people have paid good hold, good hold cash good cold hard cash uh, for copies of our books from amazon you can buy the books if you want to do that but you can get free copies from our website i always uh chuckle because there's a few people who came out to me and said tom i never took you up on your offer for free copies of your books because i didn't understand your motives and the motives are so that you know that if you enjoy the information in the books enough we hope that one day you might reach out to us and we'll be able to work together and there'll be a business relationship between us. So that's the motives of handing away free copies of our books the way we do. So there you have it so that you know. And you can get those at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms.